Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the very first show of the new year. Today is January 6, 2022. Glad to be back with you after the start of this uh, brand new year. Hopefully it brings a lot of hope and joy. Hopefully everybody had a good holiday period. And we're going to get right into it. I'm joined today by handicapper extraordinaire Pop DiBiase. And of course, we're going to get into all the hot topics of the week First, I'd like to uh, wish a Merry Christmas to the uh, Orthodox Church community, those who uh, follow the Eastern calendar. That would be the uh, Coptic, Russian, Greek, Indian, Ethiopian, etc. churches all around the world. So Merry Christmas to all of you. Now, one of the big hot topics this week in the NFL is going to be Antonio Brown, as well as Week 17, wrapping up all the playoff berths. The big game this weekend, the Raiders and the Chargers. We're going to talk a lot about that. Today is the opening day for one of my favorite wintertime tracks, Sam Houston Race Park. Love that track. Love Oaklawn. Love that circuit overall. It's maybe the juiciest payoffs because of their low takeout right now in the winter that you're ever going to find. But we start today with a sport that we don't talk about too much, which is tennis. And I'm going to bring in Pop right now because tennis is in the news for not a non-tennis reason, Pop. Mm. Novak Djokovic, he is being denied entry into the Australian Open, the first of the Grand Slams on the calendar, as he's looking to break in the Grand Slam record for career-wise. Uh, I believe he's at 21 right now, and his quest for 22 normally would start this January with the Aussie Open uh, tennis tournament that I enjoy watching. It's up really, really late at night in uh, West Coast time. So sometimes if I can't get some sleep and it's like one in the morning, pop on ESPN and you got the Aussie Open on. Novak has been arguably the best tennis player or amongst the best top three in the world for over a decade now. But he's not allowed to play, Pop, because he has not been jabbed. He has not got the COVID vaccine. It's something that he's been outspoken about in terms of not getting it. And it's maybe going to prevent him from playing at all. Now, he, it's on appeal. But what are your thoughts in general, Pop, about this situation? Um, I would say this. I think that um, it's a little biased towards him in a sense. You know that he's the best player in the world at what he does. So, it's kind of messed up that they're not letting him do this. But people have to understand, Australia is on some different rules from the rest of the world, to be dead honest with you, dude. Like, seriously, if I heard some, I've heard some horror stories about what's going on in that place right now. So that's why I say I just it won't put it. I, I don't put it past them that that's happening. You know what I mean? But I'm, I'm just shocked that they're going to do this to a guy who's the you know best player in the world, you know, and all that good stuff. And pretty much um this is not right but it it's their law and that's what it what they what it has to be and so it is what it is at the end of the day but it's not, i'm not going to say it's right or anything like that it's because it's definitely not but you know 
they're this guy is just you know i'm not a real tennis guy but i know how the impact that he's he's made on the game and who he is in general but all in all man i would say this that um it's just some drama that's needed for a sport that nobody really, really is paying attention to at this moment. And that's what I think it is at the end of the day. And you know, when tennis does, does things like this, it's always has to come with a, a good show behind it as well too. So, you know, that's, that's the things that we do have to put in play and put into fruition and put in place on what's going on here. Interesting points. You're pointing out the uh, theatrics of it all a means of gaining some attention. Uh, perhaps there's a bias towards Novak himself. Um, it, it is interesting, though, that they would implement such things against the top player in the world. I think the backers would probably say it's very ballsy. It's, uh, there's, there's, you know, taking a stand, if you will. Um, and, and then there's a the contrary opinion. And I'm going to be honest and upfront and say, I fall into the camp that I'm going to share right now, which is, Man, let's be honest. Let's be frank about this situation. We could all see what's going on. It is not the pandemic of the unvaccinated. I know the media wants you to think that. The liberals want you to think that. The Democrats want you to think that. I'm going the other way on this one. It is not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Vaccined individuals are getting covid those who are vaccinated are spreading COVID. The unvaccinated are not the ones that are causing the problem. Okay, they just need another solution. Nobody's going to admit it or not for a good time. Um, you know, not right now, at least they're not going to admit it. But look, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. This project has failed, has not worked out. And their attempts to slow or stop COVID are not working. Uh, anybody who says contrary is full of shit. Okay. So now I ask you, Novak, should he be denied to play tennis in a court where he's maybe 25 yards away from fans? Well, I guess not at the baseline. I guess uh, they're kind of hanging over the rails, but there's definitely, you know, more than, you know, six feet of separation. Let's just put it to you that way. Um, outdoor tournament, um, you know, I just don't see the rationale for not allowing him to play. What are they worried about? The uh, locker room that he's going to spread it to individuals. Maybe you have a locker room for vaccinated. Maybe you have another one for unvaccinated. I'm just doing a quick segment it's, with Mike. It seems like there would be a lot of um, alternatives to this. So that's kind of my take on it. I think that they've kind of lost sight of the fact that it's an entertainment world and you want to have the best players in the entertainment world. So, um, Hey pop, I'm hearing quite a bit of background over there. Uh, but I wanted to get your take on, you know, the bottom, your bottom line. Should they not allow him to play? Give me a yes or no on this one. Well, if they want to make sure that, they keep their integrity. I would say don't let them play. But if you want, but if I'm a TV executive who has put millions of dollars and I've given these guys a long-term situation with this, because yes, ESPN has a long-term deal for all four major events. So, hey, I need my stars there because I need to have people watching this event. You know what I mean? Because I know it's a it's a, really an ad dollars 
haven, you know what I mean, for this situation. But at the end of the day, you pay for the product and you want the stars. You know what I mean? And you you don't mind having a little controversy behind that with the stars as well, too. But at the end of the day, um, you know, Australia has its rules. And I think that when it all comes down to it, the powers that be will most likely get this guy in here to play. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You know, if, I, if we're shelling advertising dollars and you've got a lot of experience in sports advertising and, and management of, of that kind of stuff with respect to athletes, as do I. And if the advertiser's paying for something and they're not getting it, man, they, uh, you know, they're, they may not, they may, if there's a clause in the contract to pull out, I mean, they could. And you'd mentioned about tennis not being, you know, front and center in the eyes of the American people, at least. But I will say this in Australia, the Australian Open is a big deal. It is kind of like the the nation really turns to this event that they host and they look at it almost like uh, the World Cup or the Olympics. It's it's quite a big deal for them over there. So and uh, you you were talking about Australia having its own set of rules and issues. Yeah, man, if you're not happy with what's happening here in America, at least we're not in Australia because uh, the government there is more than just Big Brother. They're clamping down in a way that we've never seen over here, and we hope we never will. So that's our take on on the Novik Djokovic situation. Let's turn our attention to the National Football League, Pop. Uh, and I, I know that deep down you're a Raiders fan, but I know you also have the ability to be objective. This is a huge game. On your show, I believe you'd said that this was the biggest game in the history of the Las Vegas Raiders. Not Oakland or L.A. or all time, but in Las Vegas. The short time there, this is the biggest game in their history. It's hard to argue that. Absolutely big game because if they win on Sunday against the Chargers, they're in. They're in the playoffs. Something that for as legendary of a team with so much mystique, they have not really produced in some time. And the only time in Carr's tenure, Derek Carr, quarterback for the Raiders, who's done a really fine job, in my opinion, quite a bit underrated. But the only time they made the playoffs in his tenure, he actually didn't play in the playoffs because he was injured. He got injured on a, on a pretty violent sack uh, right before the season ended. So this is going to be his first career playoff game if they win this Sunday. And I know that that a lot of emotion resonates for you when it comes to that, because look, Raiders fans have had to wait since 2002 with Gruden 1.0 and Jerry Rice and Gannon and Tim Brown and company. Actually, I should take that back. 1.0 Gruden was the year before when there was the uh, tuck roll. Uh, then he went to Tampa, was traded to Tampa, and that was Gruden 2.0. But all that aside, this is a huge game, Pop. What are what? As a fan, first of all, what feelings resonate with you heading into this weekend? And then, as an objective observer, X's and O's, what do you think about this game on the playing field? Well, let me tell you this. Like I told you on the show, and Mike was like, well, you know, it's not the biggest a game in the history of Las Vegas. Well, this is the big boy league right here. The NFL, 
So uh, we're going to say that it's going to be the biggest game, biggest sporting event in Las Vegas in a regular season situation ever. And I know I'm going to get a lot of people, no, no, no. Who really is peeping for the Golden Knights? Let's be honest. Yeah, I know they, they're the first ones that got to Vegas. But, you know, that's just like, um, let me, the Chargers uh, touting that, you know, they, they went to uh, the playoffs in the AFL. They were here the first year in Los Angeles. So, you know, but that doesn't mean that they are the, the, the team. You know what I mean? So pretty much this game is huge because you have Derek Carr, who is a guy that a lot of people have really tried to write off, but they have to understand that I feel when it comes to arms and just skill level in general at the quarterback position, if he could have the luxuries of the Tampa Bay's of the world of the Cowboys of the world of the, uh, who else can I uh, mention? Who's just a uh, breathtaking offense. If he had the same thing that they got going on in Cincinnati, even the same thing, the running game that they got going on in Cleveland, he would, they would be comparing them to Elway Marino, all those guys. But the thing is, though, he's a Raider. So pretty much you're always going to be, I don't know about this guy. But I will say this, and I said it on my show. I can name three quarterbacks right now in the last 30 years. Yes, 30 years for the Raiders that were significant enough to help this team be somewhat doable, feasible, because we didn't get the opportunity to have the Kenny Stablers and Daryl LaMonica's and uh, Jack, the, the Plunkett's and things of that nature. I'm a real L.A. I'm from the I'm a L.A. Raider type situation. So, you know, the best thing we had, I think, ever was what other than Plunkett was Jeff Hostetler. So in the 30 years, I would say Hostetler, Gannon and Carr and Carr is better than both of them. And I just really feel like the way that he leads the Raiders, that's the leader that the Raiders were begging for for 20 years, simply right after Gannon retired. So he takes it upon himself to be a Raider. He is a Raider to the absolute fullest. He doesn't have any other ill intentions or ulterior motives. His commitment is to the silver and black. And I really do feel like this is his ultimate moment in the NFL, his big salute, his big middle finger to the rest of to the haters to the non-sayers the critics everybody i think he's going to have himself a monster game because the chargers are not a consistent winner they are a very middling team let me give you a, a great fact the chargers were four and two before they're by they're five and five they're pretty much a, a very a middling team they lose one they win one week lose the next week and i just really think that this team Team is after losing the way that they did to the Texans, they're not ready for the playoffs yet, Mike. And it's just that simple. And I know the world's going to be on them because they feel like the Raiders are going to flop. But really, that's just a trick, in my opinion. That's just a trick in the system at the end of the day, because they want you to bet the Raiders dog Betty to go ahead and close out the season on Sunday night football. We know what, what they are leading us into. I've really never seen the home team lose on these, these, these getting to the playoffs uh, Sunday night NBC game. So I am banking on the fact that the Raiders will go ahead and win this game. I'm not going to say they blow them out, but the Raiders are going to make another thrilling finish to this one as well, too. And they're coming in here with three of their best wins of the season as well, too, at the right time. So the scenario is this. We've got the Chargers and the Raiders. Let's assume that there will not be a tie in this one. So one of these teams is going to be a 10-game winner. Right now, the three teams that have nine wins are Indianapolis, the Chargers, and the Raiders. 
So those are the three teams that are competing. I think there's an outside scenario for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are 8-7-1, and one, to be able to make it into the playoffs. I think it would require a tie, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe it would require Indianapolis to lose, and then the loser of, of the Chargers and Raiders game, and then the Steelers win. I believe the Ravens have even a more outside shot to get in. Um, they would pretty much need everybody to lose or tie or something like that. And then they'd have to win, of course. But really, it's between Indianapolis, Chargers, and the Raiders. Two out of the three will advance. And like I said, outside chances for Pittsburgh and Baltimore. The one that's most surprising to me, Pop, is Baltimore. Because it seemed like they were kind of coasting for a while there. You know what I mean? Like they looked like the legitimate playoff contender. And then they lost to the Dolphins, and then things kind of unraveled. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So, man, I'm telling you, I think that when we come down to everything, when it's all said and done, you know, that loss against the the Texans was really the insurance that you could get the Chargers into the playoffs. And I just, at the end of the day, and the, the the bad play calling against the Chiefs, they could be the AFC West champions right now. It's just a lot of things, and I just don't think they're ready. They got a great quarterback. They got an awesome roster. I just think that they're going to have to improve on some 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 internal things more than anything to get to get this thing all the way right. Yeah, I have interesting points. Right now, speaking of points, the teams that have scored the most in the AFC are going to be the Buffalo Bills with 456. Cincinnati Bengals with 444 uh, right sandwich in between are the Chiefs at 452. And then really close by are the Chargers at 442. So right now they are a top five points for offense in the NFL. But yet somehow they are nine and seven, even though I think they've got somewhat of a respectable defense from a personnel perspective. But they've given up a whole hell of a lot of points. They are in the bottom five in terms of points against. And that's not a very good formula for anything except for going over if you're an over and under player. Speaking of going over, I don't want to go over and this commercial timeout. So let's take our first one of the show. We'll come back and keep on rolling. Stay with us. We will be right back after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. 
all access, all the time. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. I know we've had a lot of the athletic guests on the show over the years. Tremendous amount. We've probably had, I don't know, dozens upon dozens of writers and beat writers and team analysts and league analysts from The Athletic. The Athletic made a little bit of news today. They actually were bought out by The New York Times. So that and that transaction is expected to close in the first quarter of this year. So they will be owned by The New York Times. Interesting little uh, announcement there. Actually, not little. It's a big announcement. Interesting announcement. Kind of curious to see what um, editorial, like let's just say penetration, they're able to make on this publication. New York Times leans a certain way politically, and uh, it would be interesting to see if they kind of uh, if that permeates through into the sports coverage. Because look, let's face it, it has for ESPN. ESPN definitely has a political agenda. And as much as they try to say that they're neutral, they're really not. You know, the word, the overword, overused word, I think. I only say overused because I don't really like the word, but I understand the meaning and I uh, agree with the meaning is woke. ESPN is about as woke as it gets for a sports network. Look, I think most people are in this camp, I I hope, that you tune into ESPN for sports. Not looking for politics. You can go to CNN or MSNBC if your politics is aligned that way. If you're on the other side, of course, there are options like OWN and Fox News uh, and Newsmax, etc., But look, we come to ESPN to get away from all that nonsense. We come to ESPN really mainly for the live sports. That's what I do, at least. And um, and then maybe some highlights and things of that nature. For me, SVP is the man. I like SVP quite a bit. He doesn't seem to allow a lot of like political, you know, undertones to uh, penetrate into his show. Uh, Or at least I haven't noticed as much. Um, as maybe some of the other shows do. And, you know, the fact that we come on to that network to watch sports, but they uh, they can't let it go in terms of being able to have their opinions penetrate into the broadcast one way or another, whether it be, you know, vaccine-related issues or, you know, racism or whatever the case may be. And I was just saying that at times it's, it's you know, maybe appropriate but for the most part, by and large, I think we want to come to ESPN mainly to watch uh, live sporting events. And uh, before I end my rant here, man, I'll tell you, Sports Center, when I was a kid, it was amazing. I mean, this is before NFL packages and MLB packages and stuff like that. If you had a favorite team that was out of your local network, 
you know, if you if you're a Red Sox fan, let's just say hypothetically, and you're growing up in the Bay Area, you know, you're gonna get your fill of A's and Giants games and highlights on the local news, ten o'clock news. But it was really tough to to get anything about the Red Sox. You know, it it really was the next morning box scores. Look at the score, see who won, look who hit a home run, who went four for four, who was the pitcher, how many strikeouts did he get, etc. And then Sports Center, the cable became available in my neighborhood. I was in a neighborhood where it didn't have support for cable until far beyond uh, when it, it was rolled out in other parts of the city. So I think we got it maybe four or five years later. Uh, so it was a long wait. It was anticipated. Finally got it. We got this thing called Sports Center. And that back then it was like Tom Mees and and uh, Chris Fowler was doing like a high school show. And uh, Chris Berman and, you know, some of the OGs over there. This is before like Kenny Main and Stuart Scott and all those guys who are all uh, tremendous. But we look forward to Sports Center. It was fantastic. It was by by far my favorite show on television outside of a live game. Now, yeah, I can't tell you when when is the last time I paid attention to an entire Sports Center episode. Now, the reason I say paid attention is because I've had it on in the background at times when there's absolutely no games going on and nothing else going on. I have it on in the background. I tune in and tune out. So it may be on my television screen, but I'm not consuming it in the same manner that I once did. I used to love Sports Center. It was, I need to be home by 8 o'clock so I could catch Sports Center, Mom. doesn't have that meaning anymore. It was one of those shows that brought you something unique. And there was not so much uh, editorializing. It was straight up the highlights. You know, during baseball season, who made the great catches? Who hit the home runs? How did team win the game? Show some stats afterwards, move on to the next game and next highlight. And then rinse and repeat. And then you move on to another sport. Same thing again. You know, touchdowns, INTs, goal line stands, made or missed important last second field goals, etc. Now they they I don't really even understand what their motif is. I don't understand what kind of the overall game plan is it's you know kind of like this disney entertainment product with you know we're going to show some tweets in social media and what people are saying on social media and how do they react to certain things and you know lebron and tom brady and then anything else is secondary um so you know look i didn't intend to go on a espn uh, rant and a stroll down memory lane or anything like that. It just kind of naturally came out when I was reading this uh, breaking news about the athletic 
the periodical, the one that we have so many guests on our show from The Athletic, they do have the best writers, I believe, sports writers, uh, beat writers uh, in the land. They've done a tremendous job recruiting, but they've been acquired by The New York Times. So I was just alluding to the fact that I hope that they leave The New York Times political leanings out of it and they just they keep it sports, all sports content. And it doesn't matter what team you are, if you're a fan of a sport on a nationwide basis or certain individuals or a team, they really deliver at each of those levels in a tremendous manner. So I'm not just promoting the athletic because so many guests on our show are from the athletic. I actually genuinely enjoy it. And they always have discounted subscription specials. And uh, the press release says they'll continue to, uh, you know, keep the costs the same, things of that nature. But they are being acquired by the New York Times. Let's hope if you're a fan of the athletic, let's hope that the New York Times stays out of the mix and that they're simply an owner and making money. And that is the extent of it. So let's get back to the NFL. We were just talking about the Raiders and the Chargers. Huge game. Probably the most intriguing game of the weekend. Now, that's going to be the Sunday night game. That's going to be the NBC 520 p.m. There will be no Monday night football. So the weekend is going to close with the Chargers at the Raiders at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Winner moves on. Chargers are favored by three on the road. What do you guys think of that? Chargers minus three. As you could tell from my voice, I'm in disbelief. I mean, both teams have nine and seven records. You know, both teams seem to be kind of similarly leaning towards an offensive unit more so than a defensive unit, I would say. That's just kind of generically speaking. Um, but the Chargers scored a lot more points than the Raiders, and the Raiders gave up less points than the Chargers. Their Chargers are in the on in the green in terms of point differential on a season. The Raiders are in the red. So if you came back at me and said, no, the Chargers are in a different class, uh, you know, it would be hard to argue it from a statistical perspective, let's just say. But from a perception perspective, and look, let's face it, the Raiders offense kind of stagnated a little bit when they lost Waller. I mean, Waller is freaking so good. Right up there with the best tight ends in football. So that hurt. They also lost their type of wide receiver in, in, in rugs. So let's not, you know, dismiss how big of losses that losing rugs, losing Waller would have on the offense. They've also been without Jacobs for several games. Drake came in out of the bullpen. Another game, Peyton Barber came in out of the bullpen, gave them a hundred yard game. Um, the running game as a whole, though, hasn't been terribly effective. And I think it started getting exploited in, in game one. You know, the high rusher in game one was Jacobs with 34 yards. Game two, the high rusher for the team, Barber, with 32 yards. 
they've only had a hundred yard rusher twice. And I think Jacobs is a formidable running back, but really it's all been on car to carry this team. Renfro has emerged out of the pack to be a tremendous wide receiver. He was really good too, you know, coming out of uh, Clemson. You know, he was one of Deshaun Watson's go-to guys. And then Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Renfro, yeah, he's, he's, he's the real deal. Uh, backup tight end Moreau has done a pretty good job too. But look, by and large, it's been Carr's throwing arm that's kept him in the mix. Now, before I move on from the Raiders, they've been very streaky. Okay, they started off 3-0. and Good wins against Baltimore. At Pittsburgh, they had an overtime game at home against the Dolphins. Then they lost two in a row. Then they won two in a row. Then they lost three in a row. And then they won in overtime against the Dallas Cowboys. And then they lost two in a row. Well, going into this game, they've won three in a row. So either their winning streak is going to continue to four, or they're going to have a, 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 a rare non-streak with an L because can't lose again after that. Lose this week, it's the last loss of the season. So if they win this game, they would be on a four-game winning streak going into the playoffs. And look, look at the W's that the Raiders have. They beat Baltimore, as I said, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Cleveland, and Indianapolis. I'd say those are all pretty good wins. But their losses sunk up the joint. They lost to the Bears. They lost to the Giants. They got whipped on by Cincinnati. They got whipped on twice by the Chiefs. I mean, annihilated 41 to 14 and 48 to 9. So it's kind of a heckle and quiet. I mean, it's just, it's a hard team to figure out. Hard team to figure out. The Chargers, on the other hand, perception-wise at least, Keenan Allen, Eckler, Justin Jackson, Mike Williams, tight end Cook, Herbert, quarterback. These guys are all pretty good. This is a pretty good offensive unit they give up a lot of points but they're good off man like i said if you're an over under player this is a dream matchup just look just listen to this stretch really quickly here and i don't like just rattling off numbers but i'm just gonna throw out final scores 47 42 27 24 41 37 41 22 37 21 These are all final scores in games involving the Chargers. Some of those are wins. Some of those are L's. But they light up the scoreboard. But let's not dismiss one thing that Pop said that is kind of important, which is look at that Houston game. I mean, they got drubbed against the Texans. The Texans team that has really nothing to play for. They had three wins before that Chargers game. That was a really, really ugly loss. Two losses back. 
and then they uh, they the that was two weeks ago. Last week they beat the uh, depleted Broncos, so that wasn't necessarily much of a win. Spending a lot of time on this game because this is the biggest game of the weekend. Most playoff teams already are uh, have clinched. So the clinched team so far, the Bills, the Patriots, Cincinnati Bengals, and they clinched their division already. The AFC East division uh, will be contested for this weekend, the Bills and the Patriots. But they're not going head-to-head. So there's going to be some scoreboard watching there. Tennessee Titans have clinched their division. Chiefs have clinched the division. Like I said earlier, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five. So there's two more spots available. And the most likely two out of three would be the Colts, Chargers, and Raiders. Outside chance for the Steelers and the Ravens. Very, very outside chance. Moving on to the NFC. Actually, let's take a commercial timeout. I'll come back. We'll talk a little bit of NFC. And then I'm going to give some predictions and some Week 17 plays. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to mike at the mike show.com now back to this week's program Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, Philadelphia Eagles, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Los Angeles Rams, Arizona Cardinals. That is your field for the NFC playoffs so far. They've all clinched, meaning we've got one spot left, right? I rattled off six. There's going to be seven playoff spots this year for the first time, right? So the division winners, Dallas, Green Bay, Tampa, Rams, no surprise, really there at all pardon me division winners that have clinched dallas green bay and tampa the rams are in pole position to clinch but if they lose and the cardinals win then they are the division winners so that one is not settled yet the loser is going to be the wild card so whoever wins the division obviously wins the division and nfc west the loser of that contest 
they're not playing ahead to head, contesting the division title, that is, will be the wild card. The other wild card is Philadelphia. Philadelphia Eagles, uh, pr- that probably would be the one surprise in the NFC. Because like I said, everything else is pretty much expected. You know, Cowboys in a really bad division and the, the Packers in a, also a really bad division. And Tampa being the world champs and Tom Brady and then the Rams. And uh, I guess maybe some people would be surprised by the Cardinals. I actually predicted them to be the division winner. I actually predicted the whole NFC West to go to the playoffs. Three out of four can still go. So the remaining wild card spot that is going to be available to capture, to earn that berth, is going to be either the Saints or the 49ers. That's it. That's It's really straightforward. The Niners win. They get that last number seven playoff seed. The Niners lose. And the Saints win, they get that final playoff spot. So win in your end for San Francisco. Win and have the Niners lose for the Saints. Pretty simple formula. That'll be the final playoff seed. Most other, most everything else has been figured out. Even the home field advantage, the Green Bay Packers have clinched that throughout the playoffs. And that comes with a very significant advantage this year, more than any. Before, the one and two seeds would get a bye in the playoffs. Now it's just the one seed. If you're a two seed, get get to work. Week eight, week 19, you're going to be uh, on the playing field. It's not going to be a bye. I mistakenly said this was week 17. It's the 17th game, but because of buys, it's actually week 18. So my apologies for that, from uh, mentioning that way earlier in the show. Week 18, the final week of the regular season, is upon us. So week 19 will be the very first round of the playoffs. We will see everybody in the playoffs that makes the playoffs outside of the Green Bay Packers. They've clinched the one. It almost becomes less important to be the number two seed. Although it does mean that if you happen to play anybody else in the playoffs outside of green Bay, that you'll be hosting them. So there is a level of importance there. It just not weighted as much as prior when you also got a buy. In essence, making it to the next round for free without even playing. Now the seedings and everything is still contested in the AFC because We have two 11-game winners in the Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans. And then hot on their trail are three 10-game winners. The Bengals, Patriots, and the Bills. Now, the Bengals have already clinched their division, as I mentioned before. Patriots and Bills are still up for grabs. I believe winning and you win the division for the Bills, win... If you're the Patriots and Buffalo loses, gives you the division. I believe that is correct, at least. I wonder who most think would be more dangerous in the playoffs. Who would you not want to face? The 49ers or the Saints? 
Now, before before you you know quickly jump out and say, oh, the 49ers, because I think that's what more most people would think because the Saints are so beat up. Here's the question I'll pose. What is the identity of San Francisco? Because it's not a running team and it's not a passing team. It is a whatever team, whatever works on that particular day team. And I apologize about the phone ringing. It's a little bit uh, distant for me to be able to silence it, but uh, it'll stop shortly here. Um, so the, the, the thing is, when you're talking about the San Francisco 49ers, some weeks it's G, Jimmy G making the critical pass, elevating his game to, to help win that game. Sometimes it's Jimmy G's play that straight up loses the game. Too many INTs. Sometimes it's the running game. Sometimes it's the defense. Sometimes it's Brandon Ayuk or the Swiss Army Knife, Debo Samuel. On one hand, it's good to have a lot of different playmakers that can help you win. On the other hand, I don't know what the identity of the San Francisco 49ers is. I don't think they have a strong suit necessarily. They're just kind of like above average in, in everything. They really don't have the dominant running game that they had a couple of years ago. Now, they're, they're, they've gone pretty deep in the depth chart for running backs. That's for sure. But they've got some talented running backs. And Mitchell has emer emerged to be the guy. He may be rookie of the year. Tremendous, tremendous rookie. He'll definitely be um, getting some votes. But the Saints, they do have an identity. It's their defense. Their defense is really, really good. It's kind of rare that you see a team that's, you know, on, a, on their fourth quarterback be so reliant and carried by a defensive unit in the manner that the Saints have uh, demonstrated. Now, nobody's given up less points than the Saints. They have the number one defense in the, a in the NFC in terms of points against them. So they have, from a points perspective, and that's the name of the game, don't give up many points, they've got the least scored upon defense in the NFC. The only team in the AFC that's bested them only teams, I should say, plural, are the Broncos, the Bills, and the Patriots. The Patriots most likely are going to win that, you know, defensive scoring against title, meaning giving up the least number of points. No surprise with a Bill Belichick. Maybe a surprise that it happened this quickly. Pretty big, quick turnaround for a, if you want to call it a rebuild. Now, the interesting thing about the Patriots is most people can't name anybody on the Patriots. And if you're a fantasy football player, maybe you could name uh, Harris, Damian Harris. He's been a pretty nice running back over there. But for the most part, people can't name any Patriots. And that's exactly how Bill Belichick wants it. It's all about the team. And that's why they're kind of a tough team to ever like back from maybe like a wagering perspective or a prediction perspective because they're not too sexy. But isn't that always the case with the Bill Belichick team? You know, Brady wasn't too sexy until he became Brady. 
you know, for a while there, there are a lot of people that thought he was kind of a fluke because he doesn't have great measurables. But obviously the legend of Brady got established, you know, year after year after year. And it probably even took winning the, the Super Bowl at Tampa for people just to like hands down number one. I re- I relent. I give up. No longer am I going to be anti Brady. <laughs> he's got the belt. He's 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 the champ. He's the number one quarterback of all time. Can't can't argue that anymore. From a statistical perspective, from a Super Bowl wins perspective, from a number of Super Bowls played in perspective. I'm not sure that anybody's going to be able to touch some of those marks in terms of Super Bowl appearances. God, you guys are lucky as Patriots fans. You know, if you're a Dolphins fan, <laughs> slim pickings, unless you were uh, alive in the early 70s and, and maybe a little bit in the 80s with a couple of Super Bowl births. But for most teams, you're not going to have that kind of crazy good run. Cowboys had a nice run in the 90s. The Steelers in the late 70s. The 49ers in the 80s and early 90s. But for the most part, you don't really have a lot of um, dynasties. But when you do, usually it's kind of centered around certain superstar players. And that's the interesting thing about the Patriots. It's always the interesting thing about the Patriots. So I ask you the question, would it be a surprise if they get to the Super Bowl? I think the gut reaction would be yes. But right now, as it stands at this moment, the Tennessee Titans would be the number one seed in the AFC. If the Patriots went to Tennessee and won, I don't think anybody would be shocked. I don't think anybody at all would be shocked. In fact, if Buffalo went to Tennessee, if Cincinnati went to Tennessee, if Indianapolis went to Tennessee, if the Chiefs went to Tennessee, the winner of the Raiders and the Chargers game, it may be one of the worst number one seeds in history. And I just say that with all due respect, they've done a remarkable job to get to this point without their superstar running back, Derrick Henry. But I don't think it's a team that delivers any fear to anyone. And that's why when I revised my predictions, I said that I felt that the Chiefs and the Bengals would be the AFC championship. Now, with that said, I think the one team that could upset the apple card is the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick in the playoffs, I wouldn't bet against him. And if you look at the inexperienced coaches, especially the coaching staff of like the Chargers, you know, uh, I, I don't think the Bills are winning many Coach of the Year awards or, or Cincinnati. You know, Andy Reid and Bill Belichick are the guys. Vrabel is uh, slowly climbing that ladder of being, you know, one of the, uh, you know, top one third head coaches in the league, probably a top 10 head coach in the league. Frank Reich has done a pretty good job as well. But really, it's it's Belichick and Andy Reid. I'm, I would take, you know, coaching as a huge predictive measure in the playoffs. 
Now, with that said, I think that Cincinnati just has too much firepower, and that's why Cincinnati and and the Chiefs are the two teams I feel will be the last one standing in the AFC. In the NFC, like I said already, Green Bay is the number one seed. The two would go to L.A., the three would go to Tampa, and the four seed, the lowliest division winner, would be the Dallas Cowboys. And they're kind of in a world of hurt right now, right? Because their record looks good, 11-5, and five, but they've been so inconsistent. They beat up on the NFC East. It's hard to figure how quality this team is. From a personnel perspective, they've got a lot of good players, right? But it doesn't always come together on the same day. I guess you could maybe say it's kind of 49ers-like. And that's mainly the case because Zeke isn't the old Zeke. We've seen glimmers or glimpses of old Zeke during the season. But from beginning to end, it's it's not the same Ezekiel Elliott that um, we've kind of uh, been accustomed to. And that's why I am predicting, uh, my revised prediction is Tampa and Arizona. Arizona being kind of the one, uh, you know, that probably would be most disputed as a possible last team standing alongside with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But that's just the way I see it. All right, everyone. Time to wrap the show. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope 2022 is marvelous. As always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you same time, same place next weekend. Go Raiders and enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.